Well, hello everyone. It is Kate, Kira, and Mags. And welcome back to our podcast, Lotus, where we discuss everything from periods to uteruses to ovaries and anything and everything related to Women Plus's reproductive health. Today, we have an incredibly special guest here with us, Dr. Gonzalez Velas, who is a leader in the field of Women Plus's reproductive health, particularly in the area of reproductive justice. So we have her here today to discuss this topic, and we're really excited to dive really into it. Awesome. So as always, we want to start off with the fact related to what the episode is going to be about. So the fact today is going to be that um, in 2022, the United States Supreme Court ruling in Dobbs v. Jackson's Women's Health Organization overturned Roe v. Wade from 1973. Um, And this essentially means that the United States no longer protects abortion under the Constitution. And as we've seen, this has negatively impacted millions of women plus and reduced their bodily autonomy and agency over their right to choose how best to adjust their reproductive health. So in order to address this as a company that's really focused on women plus's reproductive health, we thought the best way to do this would be to bring in an expert um, in this space to share all of her experience and insight. Um, so today we have Dr. Gonzalez Velas, who is a Colombian reproductive right activist and a trained medical doctor. Uh, she also has her master's degree in social research and reproductive health from the Center of Study on State and Society in Buenos Aires, Argentina. And she also has a PhD in bioethics and public health as well. And we'll kind of let her dive a bit more into her background for now. But really, we're just super excited to have you here, Dr. Gonzalez-Velas. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. I'm here with you. Amazing. And just, I guess, to add a bit more to the introduction, um, Dr. Gonzalez-Velas is a former national director of public health in Colombia and has also spent time on various other boards, including the National Institute of Health, and international boards like the Association for Women's Rights, the Advisory Panel for the Americas, and Senior Technical Advisory Group of the World Health Organization. Dr. Gonzalez-Velas has also been an expert in the United Nations Conference on Population, Development, and Gender, and she's also a founder and member of La Mesa por la Vida y la Salud de las Mujeres in Colombia and the founder of Global Doctors' Choice. So going off of that, the reason why we really asked her to join us today is that she was one of the leaders of the Casa Justa movement in Colombia, which established uh, the most liberal abortion law in Latin America and the Caribbean, which has helped millions of women plus gain legal access to abortion. She was also a 2023 Harvard Learn, Engage, Advance, Disrupt, also known as LEAD Fellow, which is how we came in contact um, for promoting women in global health. And that is where I had the privilege of meeting her for the first time at one of her presentations at Harvard. To add on top of all this, she was listed in Time Magazine as one of the top 100 most influential people in the world in 2022. Dr. Gonzalez Velez, it is an absolute honor to have you here on our podcast, and we can't thank you enough for the time you're taking to be here with us today. It is a pleasure for me being with you. You are not only the future, you're also the present. So I'm so happy and so glad to be here. Yes, and we're so thankful that you and Mags were able to make this connection as well. I know um, Mags had originally met you at a talk at Harvard. So just so happy that the world's kind of aligned like that. And now here we are today. 
Yeah, yeah, um, that, that's so nice. Yeah, it really has been. So I know we kind of briefly um, gave a bit of a brief background on you, but maybe just to start us off for our listeners, from your perspective, would you mind just sharing a little bit more about your um, personal and professional career and how you've kind of ended up where you are today right now before we dive into our questions? Well, that's a long story itself because I'm... (laughs) I'm already old enough to have a story, but I have a doctor uh, who's been, uh, it's pretty funny because yesterday it was on the air, an episode on another podcast that I took part of that is called Physicians of the Beaten Path, uh, which is exactly Mm -hmm. what has happened with my career. I've been doing things that for years, people like my grandmother asked me, why did you study medicine if you are not in, you know, in the, in the hospital uh, or with patients? And because I was doing research, I was doing advocacy, that was something very difficult to explain at the UN level. And finally, when we, when we managed to decriminalize abortion in Colombia, as we will discuss later, I kind of understood or felt that I had an answer to my grandma. And that was, I'm trying to do things that are really going to change women's lives. So it's been a very long career, but I've been doing basically two things. I've been working as a senior specialist in issues related with the right to health, gender equality, with an emphasis in reproductive health and rights. But I've been also doing advocacy and I've I've been a very active feminist in Latin America and the Caribbean, but also at a global level. So my path has been putting these two things together, um, which many times means that I double or triple work uh, as part of my, you know, current life. So, wow. Well, so impressive. I mean, just hearing all about you and your background, just, you know, I just feel honestly really grateful that we're having this conversation. I think you are just such an incredible role model for, I mean, not only the three of us here, but just all the listeners that will be hopefully listening to this podcast. And um, just, it's so impressive to hear about your background. So we're super excited again to have you here. So maybe we can just dive into a few of our questions now, if that sounds good. Um, And so as we've kind of spoke of, you were a super important leader in the Casa Justa movement in Colombia to help decriminalize abortion. And finally, on February 21st of 2022, the Colombian Constitutional Court decriminalized abortion up to 24 weeks of gestation. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Wow. So I guess maybe just to start us off, how were you able to get a country to support the decriminalization of abortion with obviously such intense emotional viewpoints and harsh opinions and religious perspectives on each side of this issue? I know that's a very tough question, but... Well, the the first thing... Uh, needs to be said is that it wasn't me. Um, It was exactly a movement. And I believe that the peace that I brought to this, not only the conversation, but to this uh, 
transformation that we got in Colombia uh, as part of La Mesa uh, of, for, for La Vida y la Salud de las Mujeres, which is a feminist organization that has been working in Colombia during the last 25 years. And I'm one of the co-founders of that organization. What we did, and myself in particular, as part of La Mesa, was to conceive the idea. We felt after many years of being working in the implementation of the, because Colombia is a pretty interesting country. Abortion was totally prohibited until 2006. Mm-hmm. At that time, there was a constitutional court decision that they criminalized abortion under three circumstances. And um, from that year to these days, we as La Mesa have been working to implement at the first place, that decision from 2006 with the three indications to save women's lives and protect their health in cases of fetal malformation and in cases of rape. So we did a lot of work to implement that decision in order to to translate that decision into something real for women in terms of access to legal abortion services. So after about a decade and a half to being doing that, we felt that that particular regime was like stopped. Women were experienced barriers to access services. Most of abortion were still illegal, which meant that less than 10% of all abortions were performed under the health system and women were uh, criminalized. So at that wow. point, we felt we need to do something. We need to move this uh, situation. We need to change this situation. And one of the things we have learned, we had learned, um, was that the crime of abortion that already exists in Colombia, because the decision from 2006 created these three indications, but kept the crime of abortion as part of the penal code, as it is in basically all countries around the world, Uh, was the real obstacle. That crime created stigma, created this sense of, I'm a doctor, I studied medicine, I'm not going to commit a crime. If abortion is a crime, I don't want to be part of something that is a criminal activity. I don't want to be part of that. And for women, it also meant they took um, like more time to consult or to go to the hospital to uh, look for help for help so what we understood was that the abortion crime was on the basis of all the barriers and we decided that we wanted to change the paradigm under which abortion had been regulated for centuries and we wanted to remove repeal abortion crime from the penal code and that's how causa justa mm-hmm. started we thought this was a just cause, and it was the idea or, or the goal that originally moved all of us to create La Mesa. So the second question was, how are we going to do this? We want that, but we need, first of all, we need all the groups and movements and women's and human rights advocates working together with us because this is going to be tough. And we also need a strategy, but we also need arguments. So we build 90 arguments, we design a strategy, and we took the decision that we, were, we weren't going to do anything legal. We, we had no plans to present a law project or to go to court, 
before we open a public conversation. So the first idea was to open a public conversation in our terms. And this is something very, very important because we know that this is a controversial issue, but we, we spent years and years reacting to what the anti-rights were doing. So we wanted to put the terms of the conversation in our terms that's why we built those arguments and we design a strategy and we call all these groups that made possible to transform an idea from a person and an organization into a movement. So that's basically how it happened. And of course we can expand on all these, but I just wanted uh, to give you the opportunity to understand from where we came and where we wanted to go or move to and how. Amazing. That is so interesting to hear how you kind of planned that all out step by step and totally makes sense in terms of creating a strategy first of how you will eventually get to a point where this could be more of a legal um, change and starting off with that social movement. Totally, totally makes sense. And looking now into the United States, the way it looks like the argument as it stands today is a bit more focused on um, moral issues and that I'm wondering if there's kind of a reasonable way to illustrate that access to abortion is more of a woman pluses public health issue. And if maybe you kind of utilize that as part of your strategy, I'm curious to hear um, how you did that and perhaps how we could even reframe the argument in America to parallel the strategies that you implemented in Colombia. Yeah, absolutely. But let me say something about the moral issue. This is very complicated, but I, I want to say this. One of the things, I'm a bioethicist, one of the things I thought was very important was also to affirm that our conversation is also a moral conversation. But our values are different. Mm -hmm. So we are fighting for freedom. We are fighting from freedom of conscious, we are fighting for equality, and all those are moral values. So we we have to stop thinking that morality has to do only with religion and only with this very precarious idea of what is good or wrong, when there are values under the human rights, uh, um, under human rights, human rights are based on values, <laughs> And our conversation is also a, a value, a moral conversation. In fact, one of the arguments that we use in Colombia, which is the complicated one, I, I will see if I can explain this in English well, is around biolegitimacy, which is the idea that in contemporary societies, there are some lives that has more value than others. And in the case of women, those lives are the lives of women who reject maternity as their life project. If a woman takes the decision to interrupt a pregnancy, that life has less value in contemporary societies. And how do you explain that? Because all those laws that are trying to prohibit women to perform abortions are laws that are um, against their dignity, their lives, their health, and the only reason by which our societies are accepting in part that that thing that is happening is because they consider it, that if a woman doesn't follow the mandate of you know maternity they are not 
enough valuable. And that's the perspective that the anti-rights are trying to put. And we need to respond to them, to their arguments in this way. But uh, to go much more to your question, let me tell that absolutely this is also a public health issue. It's not an only a public health issue, but it is also a public health issue. And there are some ideas that I'm going to put here for the conversation. There is no one type of women who perform abortion. There is this idea that women who perform an abortion, they are all like too young or too crazy. They don't have criteria, but every woman, and we've done some studies in many different countries that shows us that every woman, every type of woman could at some point in their lives perform an abortion. Even more, in the case of Colombia, for example, from an old study that was never repeated, we learned that the women that uh, have had more abortions in their lives are already uh, mothers with more than two or three kids. So they are not crazy young, you know, women trying to use abortion because they just want to have an abortion. Second, um, uh, the numbers are important and more of, let's say, half of pregnancies in all Latin American countries are unplanned pregnancies. So if we are having, if we are facing a problems where pregnancies are unplanned, abortion needs to be also part of the solution to those unplanned pregnancies. But more than that, some of those pregnancies occurs as a result of gender-based violence, not only as a result of rape, but also as a result of relations that happen under violence. It's not that you are raped, not only, but it's also that you live in relations that are, you know, ascribed or framed as violent relations. So there, there is also another public health reason, which is the barriers to access abortions leads to later abortions or abortions that are performed later during pregnancies, increasing the risk of unsafe abortion, which can contribute to maternal mortality or morbidity. But also the effects or the, uh, the effects um, of different groups of women are different. So not all women have the same risk of complications. In the case of Colombia, for example, more than 50% of the publications, uh, the complications, sorry, of unsafe abortions uh, are um, on rural women. So this is also another characteristic in terms of public health, which is inequalities among different groups of women. And you are facing now that in the United States because the prohibitions are not affecting all women equally. You know, mm -hmm. these prohibitions are going to have an effect terrible effect under on some groups of population. So to round the idea, we have here a public health issue. This is an issue that affect group in the population, women, that affect differently different groups of women that is related to avoidable situations like violence or unplanned pregnancies. And it also affects the, the right to health and the, or the ability to enjoy the right to health um, 
and and as reproductive health is a central part of women's health and of course of women's um health rights and and is an avoidable situation so there are more like reasons that we also have to use, but this is without any doubt a public health issue. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that answer. And I think something we also are seeing is, especially as you were saying, various groups are kind of having a more difficult um, ability or opportunity to receive an abortion. And I think in America, we often see that, as you said, with rural populations that may be in states that do not allow abortion or individuals that don't have the means to get to a state that could perform um, an abortion if someone wanted one, that that is just an extra barrier on top of um, what they're already facing in terms of social stigma, et cetera. Um, so thank you so much for sharing that. Absolutely. And I guess as a follow-up question, uh, with all the work that you've done, um, something that we've noticed in, in the United States is that it's becoming a really increasingly polarized issue. And it's been even more so difficult than in the past to engage in conversations with people who may not have the same beliefs as us or support abortions to the same degree. So I'm really curious to hear your perspective on how exactly you engage with these individuals and sort of have these conversations um, in order to enact any sort of change. Well, I have to tell you that with those two radical, you don't have to engage because you won't be able to convince them. And because I also deeply believe that you don't have to convince them. The problem is not to transform them into, you know, pro-choice people. The thing is, how do you create First of all, in, in this particular situation that you are facing, how do you create an environment where both can live without forcing anyone else to do nothing against their beliefs? So when people ask me, isn't that too much to have decriminalized abortion up to 24 weeks? I always reply, this is a peaceful decision in legal terms and in political terms because this is a decision that allows us to protect every wanted pregnancy and to protect every woman that wants to continue their pregnancies, but also um, give us the opportunity to avoid any forced pregnancies or maternities. So the thing is, I truly believe that you can convince anti-rights in, in fact, I try to not to involve or engage in conversations with them because those conversations are so polarized that at the end of the conversation, no one understood one word. They start to attack, mm -hmm. they lie, mm -hmm. they use um, emotional images or things, and you try to then defend yourself or try to you know, say what they are saying is not true and is a lost time. So I really, really don't engage with them, with those two radicals. But the good news is that most people in our societies are not in those extremes. And let me say something about that. We are not part of that stream. We can't play with that narrative. They are extreme because they, they have fixed discourse and they want to impose their beliefs and their views 
in every and each women's lives. We don't. I'm not promoting abortion. I'm trying to create conditions to allow women to make decisions. And that makes me totally different from them. I have, I have arguments. I try to reasoning with people. I try to go open in public conversations with transparency, with arguments. I have, I'm not hiding anything so you can explore what I'm saying. So the good news is that between those that people wrongly call extremes, because I truly believe we are not part of that. We are not any extreme people. We're just regular people trying to live in, 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 in a good or better society. Most people doesn't have a position around abortion because they haven't been exposed to conversations that gives them the opportunity to understand our reasons, our terms, and the real problem. Because there is a problem in the States today. You can, you can ask to a politician. So with your opposition against abortion, you are saying that you are supporting black women dying, for example. That's a tough question. And they are gonna say, no, I'm not saying that. Well, that, that, that's what, what is happening. So that is the consequence of something that you are trying to show as a, you know, you are saving fetus, but when in fact you are, you are enabling or you are creating an environment where women are dying. So right. with the people in the middle, I, I truly believe, and, and I can say in the case of Colombia is about 40 to 50% of the population. <laughs> we have a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, I just, firstly, I really appreciate what you said about not trying to convince people of doing one thing or another, because I think that that often is not spoken enough about or highlighted enough when it comes to abortion rights in the U.S. I think, you know, people get so polarized and caught up on the issue that they don't realize that you know, we're not trying to tell you to get an abortion. We're not trying to tell you to not be pro-life. Like, that's not what the issue comes down to. And I think you just said it so well that it's really beyond abortion. Like, this is just about creating a world where women have rights to choose what will, you know, make them the best, healthiest versions of themselves. And to that point, I think... Another thing I was thinking about as you were talking was also the fact that overturning Roe v. Wade in the U.S. has also now put into question a lot more than just abortion. Um, Like, for example, I know that a lot of um, fertility treatments such as IVF in states where abortion is strictly banned, doctors that perform these reproductive assisted technologies are now becoming really worried about the legal consequences of doing these things. And so it makes me a little frustrated when people get so caught up in like, oh, I don't like abortion or no, abortion's so bad. It's like, I just think people have sometimes trouble realizing there's a much bigger picture happening. And clearly that's something that you've illuminated so well in your work. And I just, what, I don't know what you said just really resonated with me there. Um, So thank you for sharing all of that. And 
I guess to kind of transition us to another question, um, maybe in your professional and personal opinion, what would you recommend for citizens in the United States um, to focus on maybe at the smaller community scale to ensure that we can highlight the importance of legal access to abortion um, and highlight the importance of creating this um, space where we're really targeting a public health issue per se. Is there anything you'd recommend for, I don't know, people like us, people that live in small communities? Yeah, I think that uh, your question, which is much more focused on having a conversation around abortion right. or talking around abortion in a very specific terms and not only linked to those issues that I'd mentioned before, like democracy and citizenship. Um, the first thing that I always says is that speak. People many, many times avoid speaking around difficult issues. And I think that the first very basic thing that you can do, and, and, and I try to say this in a very humble way because recommend something to the U.S. citizens sounds like a lot. But in times that are so difficult, I think that first we need to speak, then we need to speak loudly, and we need to do it in our terms. When there is a polarization, People, anti-rights people, they never, never get silence. But people from the, for example, Democrats or more um, left-winger people, they say, well, maybe this is not the moment. Maybe this is not the time. We need to moderate. Why? We also need to speak, but we need to do it in our terms. And our terms don't have to be aggressive or violent. Our terms means that we need to develop arguments to explain to the society what re what is really happening, what are the consequences of what is happening, but also what is the type of society and the country where they are trying to put us to live. Because most people in the US support liberalization of abortion as you know, service have shown. So you have to take advantage of that to continue growing and making louder that conversation. I truly believe that silence is not an option. And I found a metaphor that I like very much, which is mo the movements, and in the case of Latin America, that is totally clear, feminist movements have have moved the, the how do you say, um, I don't remember the word, but have moved them. How do you say aguja in English? I'm sorry. No, it's fine. We can move, we can change the situation because we have movements and groups that are, you know, doing this, speaking, going to the streets, uh, manifesting, all that, all that, all those things. And and when there when there is silence, there is no movement. And without right. movement, there is no change. So you can't, yeah. you can be silenced. So my my very humble recommendations are speak, speak loudly, do it in your terms and create conversations when you put when you see where you circulate arguments, ideas to make people think and make people, you know, I haven't thought never about what you are saying. 
because people is not exposed to our arguments. They are exposed to the other arguments because the other people is screaming. They are not right. speaking, they are screaming. Mm -hmm. And we are getting silence in many, many circumstances. And finally, I, I've learned that uh, the use of social networks and other cultural tools, but also go to streets and you know, talk about abortion in unexpected settings in the universities, on the streets, um, gives us an opportunity that is pretty unique. People really engage. We know that social networks just engage people that believes basically the same things that you believe on. But there is some expansion. We were able in Colombia to transform the terms of the conversation. Ten years ago, when I was invited to a TV program, to talk about abortion, there was always a priest or someone pretty, pretty against and myself. And these days that doesn't happen anymore. It happens sometimes, but people really want to hear what we have to say under any, you know, conversation or debate or, or whatever. So I think that it works and I can end without saying the word that I was looking for, which was needle. We moved the needle. So that, that was yes. <laughs> there in one word in Spanish today in this podcast. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you. <laughs> um, but I just want to follow that by thanking you for saying how important it is to create these conversations. And I think for us that that's kind of a central uh, thread at Lotus is to talk about things that are difficult to talk about and to really start this kind of this big, loud, almost screaming, if you will, about destigmatizing these types of conversations. And it's just so clearly important hearing from you and your work that just even starting this conversation is is how we're going to, as you said, move the needle. And and I really liked your quote, and I'm not going to get it perfectly right, but something along the lines of if we're not speaking and there's silence, then there's no movement. And if there's no movement, then there's no change. That was incredible. And I couldn't agree more. And so it's just really invigorating to hear that from you and to know that what we're doing is is really hopefully hopefully the first step in the right direction and to kind of encourage other people to um, engage in conversations and scream, if you will, similarly about issues that need kind of revisions and, and movement in a progressive direction that uh, that's what, something that we want to do. So thank you for mentioning that really, really uh, powerful. Awesome. Um, and I guess as we're nearing the end of this conversation, we just want to ask, is there anything else that you would like to add um, to the conversation, especially related to decreasing um, the stigma surrounding women plus reproductive health? Well, I think that there are maybe two things that I would like to mention. The first one is that when when we decriminalize abortion up to 24 weeks, um, it had an immediate effect. It was incredible because when there is no crime, people feel that they can open. And I went like Literally, one week after the decision was made, I was invited to an office from a UN um, agency in my country where more than 300 people participated in a conversation. And there were, and there were a couple of women who told to order colleagues that they had had an abortion in the past by the first time publicly. So 
it kind of had an effect of we can speak about this. And I think that's so powerful. So if you ask me, I really believe that we should try globally to remove that crime from the penal codes. I, I dream with a day where, where people take like the penal codes and they ask why there was a crime of abortion once. Why? We don't need that crime. We can regulate abortion services outside of the criminal law. And the other thing that I want, so dream high, dream big with this idea of we don't want this to be a criminal, a conversation that takes place in the criminal field. Um, and, and, and then I feel that um, we need to explain to our societies not only what's happening around abortion, but the relation of these prohibitions with um, the type or kind of societies that we are building, uh, that we are that we want for us, and what kind of country uh, the United States has always dreams with freedom at many different points of history, and this is a conversation also about freedom. When when people ask me, I think I have less doubts as the days passed that this is the cultural battle of this century, our reproductive freedom. And we need to fight, and we are fighting for that, also because we have advanced and gained a lot in terms of recognition as women, because there were feminists in the past and there are feminists these days fighting for our rights, and that's why this has become such a difficult bottle. This is a bottle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my God. Absolutely. So well said. Wow. Yeah. You are firstly so well spoken. Not only so just incredible with what you've done, but I think just the insight that you've provided and just everything you've said has left me feeling so empowered and like just ready to have conversations with people about this and ready to really want to make change in this space because as we've you know discussed it's so important so thank you so much for taking time out of your super busy schedule to be a guest on our podcast we you know beyond appreciate this and um i know all of our listeners will um be appreciative and empowered as well so thank you so much Totally agree, Kate. I really want to echo that and just emphasize how thankful we are for having your special time here with us. Um, This is huge in so many ways, and I hope that we're able to kind of disseminate this information to everyone. Really just so thankful. Thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to join us today. Um, And I guess just to wrap wrap us up, Um, Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Today we had an incredible conversation with Dr. Gonzalez Velez about Women Plus's abortion rights. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at lotus.health.app and subscribe for a podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. We notified when our next one is released. And thank you so much for listening, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. It was my pleasure, too.